lot of time with the Lord, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was, sometimes he'll give you a word or he'll give you a phrase. He'll give you a question. But he made a statement that in my spirit, I felt so strongly about it because he reminded me of the verse that Paul is preaching in Turkey over in Acts chapter 13. And it says that God, over in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says, God sought for a man who was after his own heart. I begin to meditate on that. Because I said, Lord, I want to know what that means. I don't I want to know what that's like. To be a man or a woman who is in pursuit of God's own heart. He's had me on this place of, I think it's revelatory. I think it's transformational because I'm telling you where he's taken us is unlike, there's such a strong anointing in this, in this house and where he's taken us somewhere we've never been before. Sometimes we get to the place where we think we know it all and we think we've gone as far as we can go. But I'm reminded of Isaiah 6 where King Uzziah had died and Isaiah's world was turned upside down. And he said, I was in the temple on the Lord's day. What's he doing there? He's desperate. He's in a strait because the king has died. And he's the man of God, the prophet who spoke of Jesus coming, said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple, represents his kingdom. It's a big kingdom. The train is indicative of how big the kingdom is, so it filled the temple. The pillars of the temple moved. Let me tell you, anytime God shows up, something's got to really move. I'm not talking about just having a religious meeting where we come together and call it church. Because when he shows up, something's going to be shaken. Something's going to be moved. And the house was filled with smoke. And God asked a question. He said, who shall we, who will go for us? Who will we send? And Isaiah began to confess to God. He said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then flew one of the seraphim from the altar who took the tongs with a coal and touched my lips. And immediately I knew he'd prepared me for what he prepared for me. And I said, here am I, Lord, send me. Come on, you can't really be sent until you begin to understand the Father's heart. So go with me just for a moment. And uh, I'm telling you, this is amazing. This is so awesome because what does it look like to be a man? In 1 Samuel 13, 14, Saul had been rebellious. He was prideful. The Bible said he was lifted up in pride. He was the first king because God craved a king 
like the other nations. He, they wanted to be like the other people. They were, the, they, were, they were a theocracy. It means God was their government. He was their leader. He was the one who was leading them. But they wanted to become uh, uh, different than a theocracy and it was really an insult to God because they wanted a man, a king. So he gave him crazy Saul. Come on, be careful what you ask God for if that prayer is not led by the Holy Spirit. It has to be tempered by the desire to want what God wants. So the Bible said in verse 14, after he rejected Saul, Saul stepped into the priestly office because he was impatient. He waited. He didn't wait for the prophet to show up, the priest, Samuel, to offer the burnt offerings because they were facing an enemy. So he stepped into the priestly office, which was none of his business, and he sacrificed, and Samuel shows up and said, what have you done? You've done foolishly because you're not called to be a priest. You're called to be a king. Now, I want, to know, I want you to note something. When David, when he chose David, David had a different, he stood in the office of prophet, priest, and king. But I want you to notice the difference. There was a difference in David's heart and Saul's heart. There was a difference in their motive. There was a difference. And the Bible says, Saul began to, Samuel spoke to Saul in verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people because you have not kept that that the Lord commanded you. Now, I want you to go over with me now to Acts chapter 13. And I want you to listen to Paul. I'm going to read this from the Passion. He was in the city of Antioch into the region of Pisidia. And on the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue and took their seats. And after they'd read from the law of Moses and they had done all of this, the scrolls, the books, the prophets, the leader of the meeting sent Paul and Bar Barnabas a message saying, do you have a word of encouragement to share with us? If so, feel free to give it. So Paul stood up in motion. I got something to say. Come on, you understand that Paul is, a, he, he is under the influence of the Holy Ghost. He said, listen, all of you Jews and non-Jews who worship God. We've already heard it. There's no color. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Bond or free, that differs in his sight. I like what Brother John said yesterday at the, at the celebration that God, every human being, every been, human being that's ever been born and every hum, human being alive right now, God loves because we're created in his image. Let me tell you, he don't love what we do sometimes because it separates us from fellowship. But that comes as a byproduct of not knowing who we are. And I want to show you something. He says, 
He said, listen, all of you people, the God of Israel divinely chose our ancestors to be his people. While they were enslaved in Egypt, he made them great, both in numbers and in strength, until he unveiled his mighty power and led them out of bondage. Nearly 40 years he nourished them in the wilderness. He was the one who destroyed the seven nations inhabiting the land of Canaan and afterward gave the land to his people as their inheritance. This took about 450 years. Then God raised up deliverers for the people until the time of the prophet Samuel. This is Judges. The people craved for a king, so God gave them one from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, the son of Kish, who ruled 40 years. How long were they in the wilderness? 40 years, something about that number. After removing him, God raised up David to be a king for God said to him, I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man who always pursues my heart and will accomplish all that I've destined to do. For David's lineage, God brought Israel a savior just as he promised. Let me give you one more verse. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I alone am the good shepherd and I know those whose hearts are mine for they recognize me and know me just as my father knows my heart and I know my father's heart, I'm ready to give my life for the sheep. God sought for a man in 1 Samuel who was after his own heart and Acts, Paul said, God found that man. He found that man in David because David had the heart of the father. He pursued after the heart of the father. So what does that look like? To have the heart of the father. Now let me, let me take you on this little journey. You've heard me talk about this, but Israel was in bondage for 430 plus years. The, some translators said 450. But God visited Israel. God brought them out of bondage. He brought them through the Red Sea. Now let me ask you, he's taken them to the land flowing with milk and honey. He destroyed Pharaoh and his armies in the sea. Do you think Israel was saved? Absolutely. They had been saved but they had not yet entered in to taste of the land flowing with milk and honey. Over in Hebrews 4, he talks about entering into a rest. The rest represents uh, the place of trusting God that he's gonna do what he said he would do and that everything in your life is gonna be okay. Because when you come to rest in the hands of the merchant mentioned in Matthew 13, and you become, uh, we've already talked about it, that, that beholding has something to do with becoming. Because whatever you gaze at is what you're going to be attracted to. I'm going to show you that in a minute, scripturally. Because Hebrews, whoo, Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, seeing you're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that thus so easily beset us and let us run the race with patience and the vet next verse is key, looking unto Jesus. Yes. What does that mean? Fix your gaze on him. Yes. Let me tell you what the people of Israel were supposed to do when they went out into the wilderness. 
over in Numbers 13, God sends, uh, he, he instructs Moses to send a, a member, a leader of every tribe, 12 tribes, to go in. He said, I want you to go in to the, see the land that I'm giving you. Notice this is the prelude. I, I want you to go into the land that I'm giving you and see if it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And I want you to come back and give a report to the people. Now we know from the story of Numbers that 10 of them came back with an evil report Two, only two. I believe it was Joshua and Caleb said, come on, let's go now. We're well able. You know why? Because they knew the same God that had parted the Red Sea was the same God that was bigger than the giants that they faced in the land. It was an insult to God to think that, that, that when they came back and said, I want you to notice something they said. It's amazing. And it's important how you see yourself. It's important. Because I think we've missed it. We, we've compartmentalized everything in our life and we've compartmentalized God and I want to—I came to tell you today God's about to destroy every other compartment because we put him on our agenda and we put him in a compartment and we just pull him out whenever we need him and we give him homage occasionally but God's about to wreck every compartment so there's only one and he takes the priority and he becomes the focus of our life because let me tell you that that's the only thing that's gonna transform and change our life. It's the only thing that will bring true devotion. Let me make this statement. If we become, if we work to be devoted outside of the confines of how deeply we're loved, we could become a Pharisee. Let me say that again. If we work to be devoted, if we work toward devotion outside of beholding, outside of beloved, fully accepted, good enough, never feel orphaned again. If you, if you, Come on, hang with me. If you try to be devoted outside of that, you could become a Pharisee. Because if faith works by love, I'm about to preach. If faith works by love, I came to tell you faith is not something you have in your tool belt that you pull out whenever you need to exercise it. Faith is not something that we, uh, we try to learn how to exercise. Come on, we exercise our faith, but let me tell you what faith is. Faith is, it should be your address. It should be, uh, come on, it should be where you live. Faith is not something, a tool, it's an address. It's a place that you live in and all of a sudden that faith becomes a, because you focused. You fixed on the right thing. Now let me tell you about Israel. Let me, get, let me qualify what I'm talking to you about. Woo. I'm telling you some stuff fell away from me that I've battled for years. Come on, I'm gonna be transparent with you. Things like fear and things like trying to, 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 to please Come on, somebody. <laughs> trying to please religion. Trying to, trying to uh, measure up to the standard. God began to break some stuff off of me. 
because I was not born to live like that. You were not born to live like that. You were not born to live in the confines of trying harder and do this, don't do that. You were, li- you were born to be in the exclusivity. Uh, and, uh, come on, if, can I use that word? In that exclusive place called the hand of the Father who is the merchant who looks at you as a treasure and he paid everything that he could to buy you because he loves you that much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When I came, to the, the, the religion always taught us that we were the one who found the treasure in the field and Jesus was the treasure. But what would I want with the world? Because verse 38 in that same chapter says the field is the world. And if, if I didn't want the world, you, you understand. So it was you and I in the field that Jesus came. And over in Solomon, you can read a picture of it because it says, who is this that's coming out of wilderness? a merchant looking for treasure. I want to tell you who that merchant is. He's Jesus Christ, the living son of God who came to this people planet because he knew there was some treasure in the field and he didn't want to live without it. So he he hid the treasure and he went and paid everything he could to come and buy you and me to become the treasure in the hand of this savior who's mesmerized by the treasure. Woo! It would be an insult to God when they came out after God, 10 miracles. Let me ask you, do you think Pharaoh's army was more than a match for the giants? Absolutely. Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. I'm about to help you now. This will set you free right here. They're in a perfect cul-de-sac hemmed in with no way out. So they think. But he makes a way where there seems to be no way. Moses said, they're talking about stoning me. What do I tell them? He said, tell them to stand still. Take your hands off and watch what I'm going to do. He parted the sea. They got to the other side. Come on, there's some people we're about to take up our tambourine because we're about to see the enemy that's been in pursuit of us. He's about to be dealt with. God's about to deal with him. Uh, because the enemy's pursuing them into the Red Sea and they see them destroyed. It was an insult to God to think that the same God who just did 10 miracles and drowned Pharaoh's army was not going to handle the giants. Here's what they said when they came back. Here's the problem. I could run right now if it wasn't so hot outside. Don't. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of like that little boy. 
Mr. Janetta, I'm like the little boy that, that's running in and out of the house and his mama makes him sit in the chair and says, sit down right there. He was so rambunctious and he's sitting there tapping his foot. He's not moving because he respects his mother and he knows he's going to get a hickory if he gets up. And pretty soon he can't handle it anymore. He calls mama over. He, she leans down. He said, mama, he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm running all over the place. <laughs> Come on, it's okay. It's okay. So, so, so the, it was an insult to God for them to think that uh, here's, what, here's what they were saying. Something about the nature of God has changed. We saw the giants. So something about the character of God, how they saw him. has changed. No, Malachi says, he says, I am the Lord. I change not. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. <laughs> Today and forever, the same. So it was all part of their identity. They didn't know who they were. They didn't understand how much they were loved. They didn't understand because they didn't really know him like he wanted them to know him. So they couldn't enter into the rest. They were saved. Come on. They, they were saved from bondage, from Pharaoh's army, he fed them in the wilderness, gave them water, but they never tasted the milk and honey because they believed something about him had changed. Come on, don't get caught in that trap. Don't get caught in that lie. Let me tell you, the same God who delivered them from Pharaoh's army was well able to deliver them from the sons of Anak. I don't care what you're facing. You made it this far, and I need you to just testify that he brought you all this way, and you faced stuff before. You've been, you might have been through the Red Sea. You might have been in a place where the devil said, you're never getting out, but you did. Come on, you understand. You're here today because God has a plan for you, and he said, I know the plans I have for you, plans for not disaster, but to prosper you and to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. God is into your future. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. First, Second Peter 2.9. Or 1 Peter. I don't know everything. Some things. 1 Peter 2.9. I want to tell you it was the sin. If you look up the definition of sin, it comes from a word harmatia. That's, that's a, it's a dual word. It does mean to miss the mark, but if you take hay, it means to be without. Martius, form. To be without form. It is a broken sense of beloved identity. It's a broken sense 
of a father who was so lavished by us. I want you to begin to see yourself in his hand. And he's just fascinated. Come on. Religion won't teach you that. Let me ask this question again. Do you think God would allow any of us to be created so that he could be bored with us? Just look over at your neighbor. Tell him he's not bored and he's not disappointed. Come on, how much forgiveness is too much? I had a man who I counseled with two years ago. He came through and he was an alcoholic and he tried to tell me he was an alcoholic and I said, no, you're not. I said, that's what you did. And he said, I messed up. He's crying and he's weeping. He said, I messed up. I said, son, let me tell you something. I said, God's not gonna kick you to the curb because you had a bad day. <laughs> Come on, you understand. He's not gonna kick you to the curb because you're human, because we face uh, this broken world and we have these situations and, and these uh, people have addictions and, and it's all because of a broken uh, without form, a broken identity. Whew. Let me take you here. I, I don't have my watch, so... Please forgive me if I don't if I go over. <laughs> Randy said, "What does what time is yours got?" <laughs> I love that watch. I'm gonna get me one of those too. Yeah, Brother John said his watch said Sikkim. So <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I, I want you to know in, in Peter's epistle, chapter 2, verse 9, he said, For you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Now, let me come to this word right here. A peculiar people. No, no, it's not what you think. Paraparesis. It means there's not a part of you that does not belong to him. Let me say that again. Paraparesis. It means there is no part of you that does not belong to him. Oh, I felt a streak of glory. I need to say that one more time. Can I tell you that's your situation? That's your family? That's whatever you're going through? There's not a part of you that does not belong to him because he said you are a peculiar paraparesis. That means that I bought you with a price and now you're mine. Everything about you is mine and there's not a part of you that does not belong to me. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're peculiar. It's not an insult. It's not an insult. 
parapoesis, or you've heard me talk about parachoresis. We can't, when, when we come into that, that circle of love, parapoesis, circle, choreography, chorus, circle dance. We come into the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come into a place where we begin to realize, oh, he paid too much for me not to reap the benefits of being a son. He paid too much, and I refuse to insult God when I face a conflict and think that he's changed because we in his hand. The Lord is my shepherd. Hang with me. Children of Israel, we, we struggle with entering into a place of rest. The rest is knowing you're loved. The rest is knowing that you have an identity. Actually, the word harmatia, which comes is the word for sin, if you do a word search, you find out martias is connected to a word that means destiny. You can't really find where you're going until you find who you are. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, the first black and white TV was a little screen. We lived in Orville, Alabama. It was a little black and white screen, but before that, we listened to the ra we still listened to the radio a lot. There was a there was a comedy show that came on, and a guy named Hambone. I ate a lot of beans with ham bones cooked in them growing up. But his name was Hambone. And he had this saying. He would say, one reason some folks don't near get nowhere because some people don't know where they're going when they started. It's important to know how deeply you're loved. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. He, he's going to bring some wholeness and healing to your heart. Here's the thing. We get caught up in doing this and doing that and trying to be devotional out and compartmentalize God when he, he can't be compartmentalized. You can't put him in a box. You can't put him on your agenda of other things. Other things would be amazing. When you come to that place where you realize who you are and your heart is in pursuit of his heart, I said, Father, show me what it's like. <laughs> to be a man after your heart. So here's, here's a clue. Faith works by love. No, that's not effort. That's not me trying to get faith to work because of how much I love. 
faith works by love when I come to the place where I realize how much I'm loved and faith becomes my address. I want to give you this story that I'm going to pray. The disciples are in the in the boat. It's amazing these guys were fishermen all their lives. I don't think they'd ever been as, in as many storms until until they started following Jesus. It seemed like storms were coming quite frequently. Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the boat, and the disciples are fearful. Why are they fearful? Because that's what's on the inside. They are identifying with the storm instead of a who was in the boat. Let me tell you, it's easy to focus on the conflict and to give that allegiance and to miss the whole point because they focused on the storm and the fear took them to Jesus and said, don't you care, we're perishing. I want you to notice the difference. Jesus didn't get up and get into their fear with them. The Father will comfort you and he'll, there's got to be maturation so he's going to help you grow but he's not going to come into the fear when you're in a storm. So Jesus gets up and the peace in him is bigger than the storm outside. You with me? The peace in him is bigger because he's God in the flesh. But he's also 100% man. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And he speaks to the storm and says, settle down. No, he said, peace, be still. I like to think he stood up and said, okay, shh, that's enough. And there was a great calm, a great calm. And the disciples were amazed and said, what manner of man is this? It's important that you know something. When I see the Father, here's what, remember what I read from John 10? 10, John 10? I have the Father's heart and he has mine, Jesus said. I have his heart and he's got my heart. The works I'm doing, I've seen my Father do. The words I'm speaking, I've heard my Father say it. I would be really cautious if I looked at the Father and saw anything in Him that was not in Jesus. Philip, show us what the Father's like. And Jesus said, I've been with you a while now. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when He sees Jesus, the Father sees His Son, and He said, "My, Behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we've got to look at the father. You got to put on your Christological eyes to see the father truly as he is. 
You can't see him outside of Jesus. And, the, and you understand, when you look at Jesus, you should see the Father. Let me take it a step further. When the Father sees us, I believe he puts on his Christological glasses as, lenses as well. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when he sees me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I've got to see the Father through those Christological eyes, those lenses. I've got to look and see him in the person of Jesus. Now, as he is, so are we in the world. As he is, so are we in the world. He's raised us up and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. God never meant for us to fight the conflict on this earth, in this earthly realm. He meant for us to fight this conflict from being seated in heavenly places. I want to tell you, I believe your best days are ahead. Our best days are ahead because God, Jesus paid too much. And let me tell you, he paid for it all. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. Therefore, I have everything I need. No, I'm not going to have it. I have everything I need for life and godliness. Woo. I was praying. I said, Lord, I just want more of you. He said, no, you don't need more of me. I need more of you. Change everything. I said, Lord, here, I want to surrender. I want to quit trying so hard because I know you can fix me. I've tried to fix me for years. <laughs> Boy, what a wreck. What a train wreck. <laughs> wow. I remember I was, I was in a studio one time and I was playing the, the steel guitar and, and first time I ever done a recording session and, and, and I was in the school up in Tennessee and the instructor took us to the recording studio and, and, and had us to pick a song. Well, <laughs> please don't, don't judge me. But I chose Bubbles in My Beer. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> it's okay. 1976. It was 1977, actually. We'd been married for a few months. And, and so I, I, he told me I sounded like Ralph Mooney. I had no clue who that was. And, and at one point he said, I heard that hiccup. I'll take a hiccup any day over a train wreck. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I want, I, want you to, I want to say this to you. God's not disappointed with you. Somebody needs to hear this. He is not disappointed with you. He's not. I think he's fascinated with you.
I think he's delighted with you. I think his heart is waiting to be accessed by those that he loves the deepest so that we become this, this person in the earth that all of a sudden become the reflection. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The earth is travailing and, and it's, in, it's in birth pangs for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. Stand with me. I'm telling you, I felt him since the beginning. The Lord's taught me and the Holy Spirit's he's he's maturing me. I love that little man right there. That's a priceless gift. You hear me? That's a priceless gift. I don't care what they diagnosed him with. He was not born to have that. Mama, you hear me. He was not born. He was born to do that right there. He was born to bring glory and praise to God. It's going to be amazing. You, you pay attention because he may speak a word directly from the Holy Ghost to you. He may, he's talking directly from the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, whoever you are that's here, and maybe the 